0: He made sure that those who had the less coveted gifts understood they're every bit as important to the proper functioning of the body as anyone else. It's a whole body, many different members, all are critical to the proper functioning of the body. Now, in verses 21 to 26 today, Paul's going to turn. So he was talking to the have-nots, as it were. And today he's going to turn and speak to those who had a superiority complex. They thought their gifts were better. So he addresses both. Last week we saw how he handled the ones who were feeling that they were inferior. This week we're going to see how he handles the ones who have a superiority complex. See, they supposed that their gifts and positions made them superior, made them superior to the rest of the congregation. They boasted about themselves. We've seen a lot of this already. Paul had a correct boasting of those who felt superior in several places already. So they boasted about themselves rather than about the Lord. They thought little of the others. What they contributed really doesn't matter much. That was their attitude. So they needed to be brought down a peg or two. Just like last week, those who thought they had inferior gifts had to be brought up. Well, this time we're going to see those who thought they were superior have to be brought down. Why? So that there will be no division, but there will be equality. That's, how he's, that's what he's doing in these passages. So again, as we saw last week, Paul used, introduced a metaphor, right? This is, not this, this is very dissimilar, but it has common characteristics with what I'm trying to teach you. That's a metaphor. Jesus' parables were the same thing. They wanted to know what the kingdom of heaven was like, and they really had no idea. He said, well, it's like... So, you know, a man who, who went away and left the vineyard in, in the hands of caretakers and so forth. They were all describing... In terms that they understood and everyday pictures that they knew about. And he tries to teach about the kingdom. Well, Paul's doing the same thing with the human body. He's not really interested in anatomy. He's interested in them really grasping the, the, the what to be a member of the body of Christ is all about. And to, and to discern correctly the fact that we are all members one of another. So we see again in verse 21, the, the human body appears again to draw out the lessons that Paul wants to send to those who thought they were superior. Look at verse 21. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. What's going on here? Well, the more prominent members, and there's some indication here by the very choices he makes about the eye and the head, that they were sort of leaders, right? Right? Uh, The eye, you know, has the vision, and the head directs the rest. Maybe like the CEO and the COO of a corporation, perhaps. But the eyes and the head, the more prominent members, actually, I see everybody's head this morning. I see everybody's eyes. But I don't see everybody's belly button. Right? Some some are more prominent than others, right? And really, it's the hands and the the sensory organs in the head, pretty much. Although these days, who knows? I mean, people dress in all kinds of ways, even the church. But that's another story. So, but the, but the more prominent members, like the eyes and the head and the human body, they can't dismiss the blue-collar members, okay? That's the hands and the feet. They actually get the work done, don't they? The hands and the feet. And it's similar in the body of Christ. Very often, the more prominent ones can get a superiority complex, forgetting that they're nothing if the hands aren't doing what they're supposed to do and the feet aren't doing what they're supposed to do. So that's really, he's using again the body to illustrate that. And I can imagine it had an effect on the Corinthians. When they saw it drawn out in a sort of clear and obvious illustration, they said, of course not. Of course a human head can't do without the feet. But then they needed to think back to how they were behaving, and hopefully they were convicted about that. So the eyes and the head really rely on the hands and the feet for movement, for action, for, for feeling. Can you imagine being an eye and never having, having seen that, uh, what it feels like to touch another human being? And if you may be the head, but you've never had the opportunity to actually propel yourself forward in any way. No, you need the hands and you need the feet in order to have a complete experience of a human body. So he says there's no way that the eyes and the head can dismiss these other blue-collar members as having no value to them. So in the same way that eyes and ears rely on hands and feet in the human body, the so-called upper-class church members need the others to accomplish the work of the body, which has been ordained by God in order to be those who build up and edify one another. Those who possess the highly esteemed gifts, Now I remember at this time, highly esteemed gifts included speaking in tongues and prophesying, okay, as well as miracles and so forth. By the way, those gifts were actually in operation in the first century Corinthian church. But in any event, those who possessed what they thought were the highly esteemed gifts, they came to believe that they could manage without the unimportant contributions of the lowly people. They actually looked down on their less gifted brothers and sisters. But they needed to think about something. The eye can't do what the hands can do. So now imagine if I was doing the, the message today and all you saw was my eyes. Right? How effective? Well, I use my hands a lot, if you haven't noticed. Right? That's part of the whole thing. My hands can do what my eyes can't. Right? My hands can go oh, left and right. Oh, the eyes can, but they can't demonstrate anything. So the, the eyes can't do what the hands can do. The head can't do what the feet can do. But all those things need to be done. And unfortunately in Corinth, the superior men started acting like they were the whole body. Yeah, You don't need anybody else. Here we are. We're the entire body. And it is true, if you think about it, even today, you know, the eyes and the heads of the church usually get special treatment. Now, some of it's warranted in the sense that if, if there's a leader, you have to be... Listening and obedient to what the leader wants you to do. So that's fine. Um, If you're a communicator, then you do have the attention of the people and you do want them to be listening and respectful. Not only that, but I I couldn't, I told you this last week, I couldn't do what I do without the contributions of many others. Even standing here this morning, I mean, I've got water. I've got uh, the screen up. I've got everything ready. I just step in here and preach. But I couldn't do that without the hands and the feet. So I don't, I don't really take, I should not take the special treatment and have it go to my head. But that's what they were doing. You see, it's the office, it's the gift that gets the special treatment. Not the man. But they came to think that they were special, you know, in and of themselves. And you know what? When you start thinking you're the special one, it's really a short leap into deception of thinking that you're all self-sufficient. You know, I'm a rock. I'm an island. I have no need of you. I have no need of you. That's what happened. And it happens today. I mean, there are pastors who will get up and tell their congregation, you know what, you're all expendable. I can get anybody to do what you're doing for the church. This happens. Pastors say that. It's awful. It's wrong. No, you can't. See, that's the difference between the body of Christ and anything out in the world. Right? You're not expendable. We need you. Every one of us need each other say so that's, that's what he's trying to get across with the image of the body. Look at verse 22. On the contrary. In other words, what? He says, you know what? You think, I, that you have no need of the, of the, hand. And the hand. And the head thinks about the feet in terms of the not needing it. But on the contrary, it's the exact opposite, in other words. He says, it's much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Let me say that again. The members of the body of Christ, or the human body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. See, but appearances can be deceiving. Here in verse 22, Paul continues to talk about the human body. But the implications for this congregation are impossible to miss. They got the point. See, with our human bodies, the body parts that seem on the surface to be weaker in quotes, are actually the most necessary. And this is true in the church, as we're going to see today. In the church also. Those members that on the surface appear to be weaker are actually the most necessary for us. Most necessary. That's what Paul is saying here. So the, the key word here is weaker. It's a very significant word, because if you don't understand what it means, you might miss the point. So here's the Greek word. I'm not going to give you the Greek word. I'm going to tell you what it means. The Greek word for weaker means this, lacking ability. This is, again, appearance. Okay? Lacking ability, because notice it seems to be work weaker. They seem to lack the abilities of others. They seem at times to be helpless. They seem to have uh, affliction and not capable of really doing what others can do. And, and often they're the dishonored ones. They're, they're, they're taken for granted. They're not noticed. But they only seem that way. And appearances can be deceiving. By the way, when I look at that, I, I can relate to some of that. So I'm sure you can too. I look all the time at what I'm called to do, and I don't think I have the ability to do it. I feel helpless. Definitely feel incapable. And we all undergo afflictions from time to time. And we all get the, the cold shoulder from people from time to time. So we mostly can relate to what weaker means. However, the scriptures bring out amazing things about the weak ones in the congregation. Please turn to 1 Corinthians 1. Hold your place in chapter 12 where we are, but please go back to chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. In verse 26, we'll start. The scriptures reveal amazing things about the weak in the congregation. Notice, 1 Corinthians 21, 20, 1, Corinthians 1 26 to 26-29. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. There were a few of these. But in general, the congregation was not made up of the wise, the worldly wise, the mighty according to the world's standards, noble according to the world's standards. However, but God. Notice, the world, no, weak. The world says, not mighty. Not wise, not noble. You get no attention from the world. But then you pivot, and then God says, here's how I see it. Here's what I've done. God has what? What's the next word? Verse 27. But God has chosen who? The foolish. I want you to think about this. Pretend you're the new president, and you're choosing your cabinet. And there there are these people that are wise according to the world and mighty and noble. But then he comes on the scene and he says, I'll take the foolish things. Everyone says, man, you're a fool to take the foolish things. But who did it here? God. God has chosen the foolish things of the world. Why? Notice why. To shame the wise. Right? People that are all full of themselves and they think they're going to roll into the congregation. Everyone's going to bow and genuflect. But instead, he has chosen, carefully picked, the foolish, the weak, the not mighty. He's picked them on purpose to shame those who think they're so wise. And he's done the same thing with the weak. He's chosen the weak things of the world according to the world. You know, those who are, are less well endowed physically, less uh, capable of certain things in the world, not really wealthy at all, maybe poor, maybe sick. And he says, I'm taking those... Just like Jesus, when he, when he told the parable of the, of, the, of the person, the man, who was inviting all these people to his banquet, and all the mighty and the noble dropped off, but he took the weak and the lame and he said, come on to my banquet. He does the same thing in the congregation in the body of Christ. He's chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong. There's nothing wrong with being strong. There's everything wrong with thinking more highly of yourself because you're strong. And when that happens, the Lord is going to bring it to your life the weak things of the world. And he's going to say, look what I'll do with them. And then you'll, then the wise will say, maybe I don't know as much. The strong says, I'm strong in one way, but it's the wrong way. And the base things of the world, the things that are the lowest according to the world, despised, thought little of, thought nothing of. We're talking about people here. God chose them. Why? The things that are not according to the world standards in order to nullify the things that according to the world standards are what's happening, what's in, what's cool, what's best. He said, no, I'm going to choose, I'm potentially choosing the common, the despised, in order to shame the ones who think they're so of the world. And he says, the things that are not, so that they may nullify the things that are. You know, Jesus, when when, when the angel came to Mary and told her that she was going to have a son, one of the things the angel said that, you know what, he is going to be responsible for the highs and the lows and the people that are high and mighty to be brought down. Everything about the Lord's dealings with the human beings are those who are least, I'm going to make the most. Those who think they're something, I'm going to show that they're nothing. And, that, and that's the way we all end up, by the way, when we, when we go to the cross. We're all nothing at the cross. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, the Bible tells us, at the cross. Leveling. That's what he wants. One day on this earth, he's going to level the valleys and the mountains. But right now, he's doing the same thing in the body of Christ so that, that we'll all have the same care for one another. No one will think they're the hot shot and look down on somebody else that, according to the world, is weak. Why again in verse 29? So that no man may boast before God. God's going to show us what's really important. Not the appearances. Not how things seem to be. And he's going to use the weak and the lowly and do great things with them, just like Mary. She was a weak, lowly, 15-year-old peasant girl, if you want to put it that way. I just did. And what did he do with her? He made her the mother of, of God's son and the mother of Jesus Christ who would go to the cross. You see? The lowly brought high. That's what he's all about. No man may boast before God. God has chosen the despised people, the poor, the lowly, the handicapped. He has gone out of his way to make sure that the body of Christ includes such weak things. Gone out of his way. Affirmative action for the weak. Why? Does he, does he favor them? Not really. He wants to make sure that the arrogant, whoever is arrogant, whoever thinks they're wise... Whoever wants to push people around with their power are brought to shame. So then he says, now that, now, that that's, now that we've got that straight, now I can work with the body. That's what he does. It's interesting because Paul uses the same term, weakness, in describing himself. Please turn to 1 Corinthians 2. Just a few, maybe two verses past where we are. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1. First Corinthians 2, verse 1. Paul talking about his apostleship when he first came to Corinth. What does he say? And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority. I didn't knew that. I didn't come with superiority of speech or of wisdom when I proclaimed to you the testimony of God. Why? For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Those were the standard. That was what mattered. When Paul looked at the people, he says, the only thing I want to see is Jesus Christ. And I want to see him crucified. I want you to understand why he had to die for you. And then when you understand that, you'll be in the right place for me to work with you. For I was with you, notice, Paul tells him, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Think about it. You heard that this mighty apostle, this mighty teacher is coming. And then when he appears... His appearance is, is not really attractive. He's weakness, he's in fear, he's in trembling. And he said, and even my message and my preaching, they weren't in persuasive words of wisdom, like the Greeks were, were accustomed to, to when the wise or the philosophers came. You know, they were mighty, they had great diction, they had superior speech and all of that. He says, I didn't do that. My message and my preaching weren't not in persuasive words of wisdom, but how? demonstration of the Spirit and of power. In other words, it wasn't about the man, it was about the Holy Spirit and the power of God at work in him to preach the message. Why? So that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. See, it's too easy, if you surround yourself, if there's a church full of the powerful and the rich, it's too easy to kind of leave God behind. It's too easy to rest on the wisdom and the money and the and uh, the high status of all these people. That's where you place your trust, as it were. You can. You've got to be careful about that. Paul said, I'll have none of that. I came to the opposite, and I did it on purpose so that you will focus on the power of God in the message. So Paul made up bad first. You know how they say, you know, first impressions are the most important thing. You ever hear that? You never get a second chance to make a first impression. Well, apparently Paul didn't get that memo. He made a bad first impression. Upon the Corinthians. He looked weak and fearful and trembling. Why? So that they could experience the power of God in the words that he spoke. In other words, he stripped everything about him down to one thing. The words that he spoke. And there the power of God was. That was the witness. That was the witness. He comes here in fear and trembling. But as soon as he speaks, there's power in those words. Not in him even. The words that he spoke were words of power. The message of the cross is foolishness to the world, but it is the power of God for those who believe. Experience the power of God in the words. Please turn to Second Corinthians twelve. Second Corinthians twelve, beginning in verse seven. Second, now Second Corinthians now comes right after First Corinthians. I'm glad they make it that way. It's a lot easier to find stuff. Like Second Timothy comes right after First Timothy. It's really cool. Yeah. 2 Corinthians 12, again, Paul is telling things about his life. He does that a lot in First and Second Corinthians, especially 2 Corinthians. And this is what he writes here. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, in other words, he was brought to heaven and he saw things that he could never speak about again. They were so magnificent. Because of the surpassing, surpassing greatness of the revelations, and by the way, there's no doubt that some of the revelations he got were things that he later wrote in books like Corinthians, and, I mean Colossians and Ephesians, where he could put words to things. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself. See, Paul understood he was susceptible of the same thing, thinking more highly. Nobody has ever been brought to heaven to see these things. I must be special. No, that's why. Right after he's, he's back. God gave him a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it is. Better that we don't. some It's a messenger, Satan, to torment him. The ecstasy followed by the agony. And I think we can, a lot of us can relate to that. You're brought to a high place in understanding, but then you're brought back into a situation of affliction so that you don't get to a place where you're thinking so highly of yourself. Well, Paul needed that too. And he said in verse 8, considering this, I implored, I begged the Lord three times. By the way, he did it more than that. That's an expression. Three times. He said, again and again, he went to the Lord. He says, please, take this thorn away from me. But the Lord said to me something different. He said, my grace. In other words, not your affliction. That's not really the bottom line. It's my grace because it's sufficient for you. You're not sufficient. The Corinthians with the, with the greater gifts thought they were self-sufficient, but they weren't. And Paul learned the same thing. I am not sufficient of myself. He would say earlier in this letter, I, I, I felt that I was dying. I, I thought I would never get out of the situation I was in so that I would no longer boast of myself, but of the Lord. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in your weakness. Just like he told us just now in 1 Corinthians. God's power is... ...is perfected in our weakness. Can you see how appearances aren't always a good way to go? Appearance weak. God, my power is at work. And it will, it will complete, it will mature... ...those who are in this status of weak. Most gladly, now Paul, the light bulb goes off. Most gladly rejoicing. In what? Therefore I will rather boast about my weaknesses. Now don't try that in the world, necessarily... You know, when you go to work on Monday, you shouldn't go in, you know, and just let your hair down and tell them about all the things you did and all the pains and the aches. and the No, don't do that in the world. Do it before God. That's what matters. Yes, he says, I will boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Think of it. I will boast about my weaknesses. I won't deny them. I'll boast about them. Why? Because the power of God will dwell in me, and everyone will understand that that's really what motivates me, propels me forward. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses. You want to be like Paul? Learn to be well content with weaknesses, more than one, with afflictions, with losing out, with being pushed aside by people, with suffering. He says, I'm well content with that. Why? Because I know something. He says, I'm content with weaknesses, with insults. With distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For I know when I am weak in those ways, when I am insulted, when I'm distressed, when I'm persecuted, when I'm in a difficult time, for the Lord's sake, especially then, when I'm weak, I'm strong. And see, once you can look at the worst afflictions, the worst insults, the most distressing things about your life and say, yeah, But because of Christ, I am strong in this. In other words, it doesn't defeat me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When you're in that place, mental place, you're in a place of contentment and power. Because of Christ in our lives, in his power, we are the strongest when we appear to be the weakest. When those around us are seeing nothing but weakness and failure and frailty... But the power of God shows us that actually that's when we are the strongest. All right, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 23 now. 1 Corinthians 12, 23. He continues talking about the members of the body. He has said, Those which seem to be weaker are the most necessary. Notice what he says in verse twenty-three. And those members of the body which—what's the next two words here? In verse twenty-three, and those members of the body which we deem—see it according to what we see, our human capabilities. How and and it's look—it's natural. You're always if you if like I'll tell you one example of this, and I find it very difficult. And that is that I, I get newsletters from places like the Voice of the Martyrs, for example, if you know about that, and Barnabas Aid. And you see all these people, these Christians, these beautiful Christians in these countries where they're persecuted. And they're physically persecuted. And, and, and you see a picture of a pastor missing an eye or, or a woman who's been beaten. And according to, you know, we don't want to look at that in terms of our natural way of going about things, it's repulsive, right? Well, as a matter of fact, you see, what Paul is saying, you deem it that way, but it's not true. He says, now think about the human body. We deem certain parts of the human body less honorable. What do we do? Do we show them and say, hey, look? No, we bestow them with more abundant honor. By the way, that's clothes in the human body. We clothe them. Our less presentable members therefore become much more presentable. Trust me. I am much more presentable. Nice suit, nice tie, and nice pants. You don't want to see me in my underwear. All right, I'm telling you. I'll tell you right now. Yeah, what did I do? I took the less presentable part of me, which is most of me, you know, I have blue eyes, apparently look good, but I take my less presentable parts and I cover them with the best clothing so they'll be distracted. That's what what he's talking about. He says they become more presentable when we do that. But our more presentable members, they don't need that. You know, my smile, well, my teeth, because I had a lot of trouble with my teeth. But in general, people's smile is attractive. Their eyes are attractive. The way they do their hair is attractive. They don't need to cover all of that. They don't want to. The more presentable members have no need of that. Now, I want to talk about the human body for a little while. Get ready, because remember what we're talking about. Unpresentable organs. That's really what he's talking So we show them a special modesty, don't we? Or covering. I mean, even, even at the beach, when people have hardly anything on, they're still covering certain parts of the anatomy. I don't want to get too blatant here. But yeah, the unpresentable organs are shown a special modesty or covering. It's called clothing. I mean, think of it. We have, we have places, we have closets, right? Most most people have closets. What are they full of? Clothes. What kind of clothes? Shirts, right? Blouses, dresses, pants, suits. Oh, and shoes. Can't forget those. Here's a picture of, uh, I, I could have picked on the ladies with the shoes, but I intentionally decided to pick on the men. Right, this is Ray Allen. He was a basketball player. He had a good shot from the three-point corner. Look at all the shoes in Ray Allen's closet. See, that's what we do, right? We cover, you know, uh, the, the feet aren't exactly the most attractive members of the human body. You know? I mean, if somebody, somebody takes the shoes off, puts their feet up, and says, Hey, I won't get too gross, but hey, check these out. You know, I don't know. You know, when we care for people, we don't mind so much if, you know, they have a cut in their hands. But but let me tell you something. If I've got to do something with the feet, you know, I've got to be in the right frame of mind. It's got to be the right person. So what do we do? We cover them with, with uh, in this case, shoes. We don't cover the eyes, do we? Not usually. Sometimes we do. Also, we cover things that are not attractive. Now, I don't know about you, but that is really not that attractive. Right? So we cover it, Look, nice shirt, got some jeans, even puts his hands in his pockets, so you're more distracted. Yeah. But here's the thing. How a body part looks, or appears to, has no relationship to its real value in the body. I'm going to illustrate this a couple of ways. How a body part looks bears no relationship to its real value to the body. Think about it. A body can survive, not thrive, but can survive without an eye. In fact, there are people that are blind, and they're surviving. Some of them are surviving really well, like Stevie Wonder and Ray Charles. But you have an ear that's missing. You can still live. You can, li- you can lose a hand or even one of your feet, and you can still live. Now, not, not the way you might want to, but you're still surviving. However, see how long you can live without a heart. Right? Not very. See how long you could live with no lungs. Or oh, without a stomach. Or without a liver. And we have people right now, we're praying for them because they need kidney transplants. They won't live much longer without a new kidney. Now these are not the most presentable members of the human body. For example, I want you to look at this. That's the human heart. It's hidden. And it's ugly, I mean, if you just look at it, you know, I mean, if somebody said, you know, hey, hey, here's your date for tonight, you'd be disappointed, right? It's ugly, it doesn't. But of course, it is an essential function of the body. It's a pump. It works behind the scenes. It's like the, it's like a pump that's underground and brings up the well water. And speaking of ugly, how about the liver? We'll show this in a minute. A lung, a stomach, the intestines. In fact, our entire digestive system is pretty much a visual horror show. I mean, look at that. Right? I mean, there's nothing attractive about any of it. The liver is misshapen, the stomach is hidden, and the, my gosh, the intestines. I don't know what that looks like, a bunch of snakes or something. Yeah, not attractive at all. But that's deceiving. Why? Because these unpresentable organs are hidden, but they're essential to the survival of the human body. Make the application. You have the eyes and the ears and the head of the congregation. And they're attractive and visible. And everybody sees them and gives them honor and so forth, naturally. But then you have those members of the body of Christ that are hidden. Less attractive physically, perhaps. Weaker, sick, whatever it might be. They're essential to the survival, the survival of the body of Christ. They're essential. That's, the, that's what he's brewing out when, he, when, he, when he's saying what he's saying in verse 23, 24. We have people, by the way, inner organs, don't we kind of take them for granted? Right? You know, yeah, the heart's pumping. It's always pumping. I feel my pulse. I felt it for 20, 30, 40, 50, 70 years. Eh, it's the heart. Just going to be there. Same thing with the stomach, right? You know, we kind of we, we pay a lot of attention to the food we eat, right? But we don't really, you know, really think very much about what the stomach is doing. So we take our inner organs for granted until one of them malfunctions. Then it's a very different story. Then we're paying all our attention. Somebody tells me that I have, a, I have heart failure. All my attention now is on the heart. See, It's only when they're malfunctioning or diseased. I want you to make the application of the body of Christ. The body of Christ. We have people who appear to make very ordinary contributions, but that's usually a deception. The less prestigious among us are every bit as necessary for the health of the congregation as those of us who are on display. And again, just like the human body, when it comes to the church, the problem is our human perception. We deem it so. We see something as honorable or presentable. It's the human part that does that. We bestow. But appearances can be deceiving. We bestow more abundant honor on the parts of our body that we consider less presentable. We want to make them more presentable. Fair enough. Nothing wrong with that. But if we behave this way towards body organs, how much more ought we do the same for our fellow saints in the body of Christ. There's the lesson. We need to take every opportunity we can to give honor and recognition to the contributions of the saints whose gifts function behind the scenes, or in a seemingly unremarkable manner. You know, a person can be here, and after service is over, they may be sitting for a minute or two and they're like, oh, are they lazy? or well, they want to be with you. And then, as a matter of fact, what they're doing is praying for you. See, they seem to be not doing very much. Well, there's different things that go on here that nobody, not too many people know about. You know, we have a woman in Arizona who used to listen on radio. We had a radio show in Arizona. Okay, it's a long story. But now, of course, we've been off the radio for a while, and she still wants to listen. She's poor, she can't afford a computer. So what we've been doing for many years now is making a disc at the end of clubs of service, and then somebody takes that, puts her address on it, puts a stamp on it, and, and mails it. Now you might say, well, that's pretty ordinary. Not to her. Not to her. And there are countless examples of that in the body. Things going on behind the scenes. They function behind the scenes. Many people think of them as very ordinary, take them for granted, but we shouldn't. They may not be remarkable to us, but they're remarkable to God. Man... We look at appearances. God looks at the heart. Not the pump, but the inner person. This won't be easy. It won't be easy to give honor and recognition to those who seem unremarkable to us. The reason why is that we live in a culture that does the exact opposite. We live every day in a culture that does the exact opposite. The world gives its praise and honor to the most prestigious people. Isn't that true? I mean, I mean there's all these awards now that all kinds of people get, you know? it's, and many times they have, you have a group of people that are giving awards to other people, and they're hoping next year that the award comes to them, you know like for example, the Oscars. Never th- I don't know. I, I always think about how pretentious it is for some of the richest, well-off, spoiled, arrogant people to all get together and say, "You know what?" Let's come up with all kinds of awards to give ourselves. I mean, that's, exactly, that's what the Oscars are. Everybody wants to know. It's covered by everybody. The paparazzi are all over the place. You're not going to see that here. You're not going to see that when a member of the congregation comes on a Tuesday or a Wednesday and cleans the place or buys new supplies. Paparazzi aren't interested in that, are they? No, they're interested in the lives of the rich and famous. Yeah. The, the MVP in sports, right, it's the same thing. You know? Well, the MVP would be flat on his back if it wasn't for the offensive line that protects him week in and week out. As a matter of fact, they're more necessary. They're more necessary. You watch a the team, they may have, they may have a second string quarterback, but if their line is, is in tatters, if four out of five of them are injured, good luck, quarterback. Good luck. Same thing with us. So, honorary degrees, by the way. Right? Honorary degrees at Harvard. Who do you think they give those to? Do think they give them to, like, the janitor? Or the unemployed person? Or the homeless person? Do you think they do that? Have they ever done that? No. I mean, there's people they give it to instead. Now, here's someone who doesn't need any... I mean, who, who needs all kinds of recognition, right? She's never recognized for anything. Can you see who it is? Oprah! Oprah! Harvard gave Oprah Winfrey an honorary doctorate for being Oprah. See, here's the thing. According to the world now, Harvard University kind of gets reflection of her glory. Hey, she's with us. And she turns around and says, Hey, I got a doctorate degree. See how it works? That's the world. That's the world. It'll always be like that. It'll never change. But here's the truth. Here's the truth, and it's true in the church too. Those who may flaunt their gifts and prestige, and a lot of people do that, a lot of people do that in the church. There's all kinds of pastors competing with pastors. There's all kinds of people praising certain people for how many people are in their congregation or how attractive they are or how wonderful the orchestra is that's behind them and all of that nonsense. But here's the truth. Those who flaunt their gifts and prestige are often noticed much less indispensable or more dispensable than faithful, hardworking, humble, prayerful saints they're much more essential. Much more essential. When we get to heaven, we're going to be shocked. We're going to be shocked by all of the people who were praying for us in certain circumstances. We're going to be shocked that what would have happened if we didn't have certain people in the body who displayed week in and week out the meaning of the cross of Jesus Christ in their lives. We're going to be amazed at how much of an impact they had And we're going to look at that and we're going to say, well, we thought, you know, the pastor and this, I've been picking on the song leaders. I don't want to do that anymore. I got some feedback on that. But, you know, the idea is there's certain ones that think, well, they were the ones that were really important. No, it's going to turn out that I'm really not that important compared to hardworking, faithful, humble, prayerful saints. Faithful. You know, I got to tell you this, and that is that, I sometimes get discouraged when people have too easy an attitude about whether or not they should be here, especially people on the Internet. I don't even know if they're here or not. But, you know, the idea is that, well like, like, well, like the book of Hebrews says, you know, assemble together, don't forsake it, right? All the more as you see the day drawing near. That's important. Faithfulness is really, really important. And hardworking. People get all kinds of things done around here. You wouldn't know it, but they're all in place. I mean, I don't want to be gross, but imagine if we never cleaned the bathrooms. That wouldn't be good, would it? No. So there's all kinds of things that, you know, they have behind the scenes. But especially prayer. But here's another part about that. Those who seem to be weaker are much more necessary. Like saints who have disabilities. They're more necessary. I want you to think about that. I'll tell you why. Illnesses people that are undergoing great illnesses and disease, great poverty, the poor among us, great suffering, those who, if most of us had what they had, we would be sleeping in today. We wouldn't be here. They're usually the most precious members of the body of Christ. The most precious. They're the ones who inspire us. They're the ones who are mature among us. They're the ones that build us up the most by just having them with us. They're people of character. They are often the most Christ like among us, and so many don't even recognize it because they're humble. But their example of patience and kindness and love, in the midst of afflictions, they witness, like Paul in his first visit, they witness to the power of God and his word. That, that's, that will happen that. that's what happens when people are afflicted and weak and they, they hang on to the word of God and they persevere and they say, I want to be there with the body, you see. They testify to the power of God and His Word. Please turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 3. Romans chapter 5, verse 3. Never be ashamed of your weaknesses. Never think that you're a second class citizen in the church because you can't do as much as somebody else or you know or it's really hard sometimes even to smile but you do it never be ashamed of that Romans 5 3 not only this but we also exalt in our tribulations this is what a Christian can do and I don't know of too many other people in the world who can really do this why you know why we'll see in a minute We exalt in our tribulations, the sufferings, the difficulties, the people that spurn us, the failures, the things that we wanted to be one way and turn out the opposite. We exalt in those things. That's crazy. Well, here's why. We know something. We know that tribulation brings about perseverance. In other words, it's in our tribulations where we really grow up. And isn't it true? True. And very often, those things that were the most bitter when we're going through them, looking back, are really the most sweet. But but we have to go through it. Perseverance, it just means hanging in there. There's nothing glorious about perseverance. Most people won't even know. Some of the people that are going through the worst don't complain. Some of us who don't have hardly anything going bad, we complain. It's so funny. But perseverance just means hanging in there, being long-suffering. And that leads to proven character. See, that at the end of the day, that's what you want. That's what, it's definitely what we want about others. We want, we want to be around people of character. We don't want about people who say one thing and do another, that smile and shake our hand, and then when we're out, look and stab us in the back. We don't want that. We want people of character, people whose word is their bond, people who we know are going to be there for us. How does that happen? How does God bring that about in the saints? By tribulation bringing about perseverance, and that brings about proven character. Proving character results in hope. Look at that word. That is why Christians can exult in their tribulations. We know that God is with us. We know that he's working all things together for good. We know that one day we're going to have a resurrection body. We're going to see the Lord face to face. We're going to be in, in, in bliss for all of eternity. And so like Paul, we can say momentary light affliction is producing for us a weight of glory far beyond all comparison. But only the people who listen to God's word and have the spirit indwelling get this. That, that is the biggest blessing of all, by the way. The biggest blessings are, are what Christ has done for us and how that can change our hearts and our, how we see everything. You know, if you if you walk through your life and you're always looking at the things that aren't quite right, and there are plenty of them, we all can do that. There's plenty of things about all our lives that aren't right that we wish were different. I want you to try something. I want you to take your eyes off your problems this afternoon. And I just want you to look around where you are, who's with you. I want you to look at the sky and the sun. I want you to look at the fact that tonight... Many of us, hopefully all of us, will have a place to rest our heads that's covered from the rain and the winds. I want you to look about the fact that God has preserved you and taken care of you every day from your birth until today. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about the greatest blessing. I want you to think, perhaps, about where you were when you were 15 or 10 years old and all the dreams that you thought of and the desires that you had. And then realize that the ones that were really the the desires that were true, he's fulfilled. He's fulfilled them. He's faithful to us. Count your blessings. Think about the friends that are true friends in your life. Think about the husband or the wife that loves you. Think about those things. Whatever is good, whatever is lovely, whatever is good repute, right? Dwell on those things. That will make you happy. That will make you happy. Hope does not disappoint. Why? Notice this gift. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts. It's already happened. You may not recognize it, but God has poured his love into your hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. That's real. We love God. We have the ability to love others in a supernatural way. What could be better than that? What could be better than an assembly of believers who are filled with love for the Lord and for each other. No, nothing is better than that. The people in Pakistan who have literally nothing, whose men go into the sewers to clean them, and yet they gather together on a Sunday, you should see the smiles on their faces, because they understand this point. The love of the Lord, the love of the body, is un, it's unreplaceable, irreplaceable by anything else. And let me tell you something else. The body of Christ... Is starving for saints who will live out the message of the gospel. That's really what the body ultimately needs. That's the most necessary. That's how their body can really survive and flourish. People who live out the message of the gospel. Death, burial, and resurrection. Sacrificing for others. And they do it when they're bearing up under sorrows. That's when it really shows, if you will. That's when the power is really there. When I am weak, then I am strong. The body of Christ is starving for that today, the church. Verses 24 to 26. But God. But God. When you see that, almost always it's a a pivot. It's a pivot from how we see things, what's going wrong, the world, the problems. And there's a pivot. But God. You should say that every day. When you find yourself dwelling on something negative, all right, just to say, but God, you know, and then fill in the blank. Well, here's what he says here. But God has so composed the body, he's put it all together. He's knit us one to another. Why? Giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked. This is saying that the one who has is, who is seemingly lacked so many things, God gives more abundant honor to in how he has placed that person in the body. Why? Here's what Paul's leading to, verse 25, so that there may be no division in the body. In other words, they came and they saw one another and they were just a bunch of people. Oh, yeah, that's Al. He owns a business. Oh, yeah, he's like royalty. Oh, yeah, look, I'm going to hang around with those people. And then there's the poor and the former slaves and current slaves. And people are saying, I don't know. They were a bunch of people marked by what the world thinks is important. But Paul says of a body. That's who you really are. You're members one of another. Now why? I mean, God has actually blessed more abundantly in terms of their place in the body and their function. Those which lacked according to the world. So that there may be no division anymore in the body. I say anymore because this whole letter has shown us the ways in which the Corinthian saints divided. were divided. They were divided according to the poor and the rich according to who they thought they was the most uh, attractive apostle, whether Apollos or Paul or Cephas. They were divided all kinds of ways. They were divided according to those that were taken to court and those that had to be in court being sued. All kinds of ways. They were divided, about, by the way, of those who thought that there was no problem eating, eating food sacrificed to idols because they're so mature. And then the ones who, would, who could be hurt by that and fall back into their former ways... Divide, divide. At the Lord's Supper, they were divided too. Okay? Literally. They, they were supposed to come together. They were falling apart. But God says, now look at what I've done in the body of Christ. I've given more abundant honor. I'll do it. You may not do it. I'll do it. To those who lack. So that there be no division in the body. But instead, that the members may have the same care for one another. This is what he's been driving towards. No division. Same care. And how does that look? If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Well, here Paul is obviously shifting from the human body to the body of Christ. From how we treat our physical bodies to how God has woven together the body of Christ. And the Holy Spirit gives the spiritual gifts to the saints with a purpose, with a design. And one of those designs is to give more abundant honor to those whom society brands as dishonorable. God looks at that and says, you know what? I'm going to use the weak to shame the strong. I'm going to use the base things of the world to shame the noble. I'm going to use the weak, the weakest among us, I'm going to use to shame those who appear to be powerful. And one way he does that is by distributing gifts to the saints who have nothing to give more abundant honor to them. Society may say, oh, that's dishonorable. We want nothing to do with him or her. God says, oh, yeah, I'm going to place them in the body where I've determined so that I give them more abundant honor. And in a way that God sees it, not the way man sees it. It doesn't mean that, you know, I used to think this, but it's not necessarily the case that God says, let me take the most pathetic among you and make him the pastor. That's what I thought this verse meant. But not really. Why? Because the pastor's not the most important. You know, let me take the one who's, who is seemingly dishonorable and give them the gift of mercy. Because at the end of the day, that's more what the body's starving for. Yes, the word of God, that's got to be in place. But also merciful people. Also people that are willing to put a hand out and help one another. So God may put the less honorable there. Because in his eyes, that's the real precious, beautiful Operation. Holy Spirit knit us together so that the lower would be made higher and the higher would be made lower. But why? Because he likes to kind of play with us? No. He does it so that all of us would receive equal recognition and honor. That's what we're striving for. All of us receive equal recognition and honor. I know you parents out there understand this. And what I mean by that is that if one child is getting all the recognition... All the honor, all of whatever. And then there's like another child who's sitting there and gets no attention, no honor. That's not a good thing. So discerning parents will go out of their way to give, a, give honor and recognition to the other one too. Why? Because you're making a statement. You know, the world is saying, you know, these grades and this prestigious, whatever, that's what counts. But God says, no, every member counts. And if that's true in the human family, how much more true it ought to be in the church? Those who are supposedly more highly esteemed ought to share the limelight with those who are in the shadows of the congregation's attention. And Paul has used the metaphor of the human body to bring us to a new place. And here he is ready to give us the conclusion. Spiritual gifts, that's the subject of chapters 12, 13, and 14. God has distributed those gifts so that there will be no division in the body. See, human nature is the opposite. Human nature. If you give different things to different people, there's always divisions. You know, I was thinking about we, we had to get drinks because we had pizza over there at uh, Deerfield Middle School on Wednesday, and I, I was responsible to get the drinks. Now I was thinking to myself, you know, I could try to guess. Well, maybe some people like Dr Pepper and some people like this and that. But I knew something. If I brought a, a lot of wide variety, they'd be fighting over it. Oh, no, I want the Coke. No, I want, right? That's, that's human nature. So what I did was I just brought lemonade for everybody. But that's the point. You see, God says, no, there will, be, there will be different functions in the body. There has to be. But there ought not to be any division. We ought to preserve unity, the unity of the Holy Spirit. And how do we do that? We make sure that we all have the same care for one another, regardless of our gift. We can all do that. There's no special gift to care about somebody or to love somebody. Keep in mind that we need to attend to the needs of others. That's the secret. That's love. Get your mind off your own needs. Attend to the needs of others. Make sure nobody is ignored. Nobody. Now, of course, Paul, right after chapter 11, he goes into the gifts. And in chapter 11, remember, the saints were displaying despicable behavior at the Lord's Supper congregation was coming apart, not coming together. It's no accident that that's followed by the teaching on the spiritual gifts. They had no concern for the have-nots. In fact, they looked down on them. What does he do with those kind of people? He ridicules them. How does he do it? He says, listen, even the human body cares for itself. If, 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 If a hand gets jammed into a door... The right hand, the left hand is going to work to get them free. The human body does that. You know, if that's true, if the left hand will rush in to immediately assist the right hand, or if a finger is in pain, isn't it true the whole body feels it? It's true. If you have a pain of any kind, the whole body is sort of affected by that in some way or another. And if that's how the body of of our, our human body does things, how much more? How much more what the members of the body of Christ care for one another? That's his lesson when he brings out the body. You know, think of it. A woman runs the marathon in the Olympics, and she wins. She gets all kinds of congratulations. Do you know what, what's interesting? None of them congratulate her feet. Right? She ran the marathon with her feet and legs, but nobody says, wow. We're really proud of you, feet. Great job, legs. No, the whole person is honored. Matter of fact, the gold medal never goes on the leg or the feet. It goes on the neck. When one member is honored, all are honored. And if it's that way with Olympic athlete's body, how much more should it be with members of the body of Christ? And unfortunately, sadly, it's often the opposite. Sadly, when one member of the the congregation is honored or prospering, others are full of resentment and jealousy. And some people want to see those that they have a rivalry with hurting rather than being blessed. Isn't that how ugly is that? But it goes on. Look, you have to discern the body correctly. You have to see every day that we members of one of another. That we all share one life. We all share in the life, one life of the body of Christ. That's what matters. We're in the body of Christ. In the body of Christ, no one suffers alone. By the way, this is just a fact. Okay, We may choose to ignore it, do nothing about it, but the fact of the matter is, is that the, if, you, if a member of the body Christ suffers, they're not suffering alone. We're all there. We're all there suffering with them. Please turn to Romans chapter 12 as we close today. Romans chapter 12. <coughs> one member suffers, all members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice. Paul puts it another way, a more direct way that we can understand. This is not talking about the body in comparison, but not just talking about us. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Rejoice with those who rejoice. There'll be plenty of other times when we won't be able to but let's take the opportunity to rejoice especially in those who according to the world standards are less honored but find opportunities to rejoice in their achievements rejoice be happy when they're happy by the same token weep with those who weep weep with those who weep be affected by it be there try to understand what they're going through be sad when one of us is sad. That's what he's saying. Be of the same mind toward one another. That just means that we think about each other. We have the same priorities. We we're, we're, we're have the same God, the same Lord, the same spirit, the same body. But do act like that. Be of the same mind toward one another. Don't be arrogant. Don't be haughty in mind. But associate with the lonely. That's something the world never does. The lowly the world passes over, ignores, thinks nothing of. You know, there, there are um, so many examples of that today. So many examples of that. We celebrate. We feel great when our military accomplishes an objective. But then the battle of the war is over. And then we forget about them. We forget about the veterans. It's Veterans Day, by the way. Happy Veterans Day. But that's—it's interesting. Why? Well, because because on the one hand we see these, these young men and women now who are you know young and strong and smart, and we're proud of the fact we're we're grateful of the fact that they're protecting us. But then they come back, and maybe they're missing a leg, maybe they had an eye, maybe they're never going to walk again, maybe they're with they're at post traumatic stress syndrome, and that's not so attractive. There's not so many people paying attention to them. That's how the world operates. We're not supposed to do that. Associate with the lowly. If one of us is under attack, we're all under attack. If one of us is prospering, we're all prospering. How much happiness and joy and tender compassion we will share when we routinely treat each other this way. Think of it. You want to be happier? Associate with the lonely and weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. We're told in the Bible to rejoice always in the book of Philippians. What does that mean? It means no matter what circumstance we're in, if we have to weep with those who weep, we're still rejoicing. We have the power to do so by the love of God in our hearts. If we're prospering, all prosper. We'll always be happier that way. We're not Look, it's interesting. Just think about it. It's a numbers situation. If the only time I'm happy is when I'm prospering, I'm going to be unhappy a lot. On the other hand, if any time any of us, just one of us, is prospering, and we, we understand we're prospering with them, we're going to be happy most of the time. All right, That's the idea here. And if one person is bearing a heavy load, maybe it's us this week, and nobody's helping us. It's going to be too much. It's going to be crushing. But if we're all carrying that same load, it's going to be light. Like the Lord's, He'll always be that way. His yoke will always be easy. His, the burdens that he, we carry with Him will always be light. But we should be that way to one another. And when we're routinely doing that, treating each other, caring for one another, rejoicing with those who rejoice, weeping with those who weep, when we're routinely behaving that way, we're going to be full of more happiness, more joy, and more tender compassion. And that's really what makes a full life. Not having your picture taken on the red carpet, but having that love and tenderness and joy. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for all your good gifts. We thank you that you have made it possible through the power of the Spirit and the power of your Word for those who are under affliction and persecution to still be hanging in there and still be examples of patience and love and of the meaning of the cross and resurrection of your son. And today, Father, as we close, we also once again want to make sure that everybody knows that there is hope and it's based on the fact that Jesus Christ died for all our sins. He's put them away. He was buried, so we know he died physically. But he was raised from the dead on the third day to show that he will never die again and that his life will become our life when we simply believe this good news. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And Father, we also want to just today thank you for the members of the body, especially today, Father, we want to thank and notice those among us who get the least attention. We pray that that would be fixed and we would instead reverse that, turn that around and be there in a special way for those who are weak. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Just a couple of reminders. Um, Thursday evenings at 7 o'clock, we have a great opportunity because we have Bible study. It's informal. That just means that you can ask questions. People, Different people read the scriptures. Different people even answer people's questions. So it's a great time. It's very different from this. But it's another way in which we can be enriched by God's words. Every Thursday, 7 o'clock at night, right here, right in the family room across the way, please join us. Please join us for that. Also, please give us your prayer requests. We pray on Thursdays as well. By the way, that's another opportunity to share in the life of the body, is to be prayerful. Yes, we should be and we, we ought to be every day in our, in our private prayer, but it's great we can gather together and all pray together also. Both of those things are important. But we want to know what you want us to pray for. So you can fill out a piece of paper in the foyer and put it in that box. We'll know it. You can also just go on on our website, lbible.org, lbible.org. And there's a place there where you can also just enter the prayer requests that you have. And we look at those and we make sure we pray for them as well. All right. Let's close again. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you once again for everything. We thank you, Father, that we are able to leave today and be in a place where we can see your blessings all around us. We ask now, Father, that we would also share in the affliction as well as in the rejoicing of all, all of us together. We ask it in Jesus' name, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. All right, you're dismissed at this time. Go enjoy that day that the Lord has made.